0: You may have noticed every time we turn on the news, every time we take a a snapshot of our family lives, our home lives, our work lives, the world we're living in is rarely even keeled, is it? (laughs) To put it mildly. Let me come forward so that microphone just stands doesn't get in people's way of seeing me. The life life we live in, this life, this world, is characterized by change, by tensions, by conflict, sometimes opposing voices and so on. It's, It's a part of life itself, isn't it? And change, in and of itself, isn't a bad thing. Even your bodies have replaced every single one of your cells every few years. So you, sitting here right now, is not the you of five or six years ago. (laughs) You're not not the same cells that you had as a baby. Some of them are. 90-odd percent. It's a large amount, isn't it? We're, effectively we become like Trigger's broom. You know um, Only Fools and Horses and Trigger the road sweeper and he says this broom, my faithful broom has served me well for 20 years. And they go, have you actually used it then? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's had 17 replacement heads and 14 replacement handles but it's the same broom. <laughs> Even many, many large chunks of our body gets replaced every few years and, and in the same way we're a bit like Trigger's broom like that. But some change is good. Some change is good. But there are aspects of life that are more than just built-in creational rhythms, if you like, or growth. There is good change. But instead, there are other aspects of life that the result, it's the result of our world being broken. We broke the world. When humanity, when we've turned away from God's perfect design and his good intentions for how to live life to its fullest, in, in him and with him, when we've turned away from that as a human race and as individuals, we're now reaping the whirlwind of that. That's what it means to live in this broken world. That brings undercurrents that then generate turmoil and generate tension both outside and within us as well. Things do not stay the same. and We rarely find life to be without stress uh, for very long, if at all. Um, and trying to navigate it all in our, in our own strength that just adds to the struggle, doesn't it? Today, in today's passage, we're going to learn about Jesus leading the way in how to do that, how to live life, how to navigate life through stresses, through difficult change, through the storms, in a way that is truly restful, but then also we discover uh, he proves to be the one that we need to turn to every single time when we are in these storms as well. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 8. Because this lesson is immersed in a very real storm, a physical one. Luke chapter 8, verse 22, it's going to come up on the screen as well, but if you've got your Bibles. Luke 8, verse 22 onwards, just four verses we're going to read. This story also appears in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4, Um, but we're reading it from Luke today. We're working our way through the book of Luke at the moment, aren't we? Luke 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in danger. It's very specific. They were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, "Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey Him. I want to focus on two things today. Um, whenever this story is read, and we think about this and we hear preaching on it, and rightly so, it focuses on the bit where Jesus comes the storm, which is right. But quite often we can be in a storm and asking God to stop it, and it doesn't always stop, for a good reason. He's a good God, he's not a meanie, it's quite a friend. Um, But sometimes he doesn't always stop, And and he can and he does stop storms. But there's also a lesson before that we need to learn, that I want us to focus on more primarily this morning. And that's about where we find true soul rest. What it means to find rest for the soul. And then as I come to an end, we'll look at, Not just soul rest, but also the Saviour's restoration when he does calm the storm at the end as well. I just want to give a bit more focus to the first part initially, and all all will be made clear. There's a big lesson here that we can miss otherwise on the way. Soul rest, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, Jesus. it's really helpful just in the first comment that Jesus says. Um, He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. He's got intention and he's got direction there. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, we need to understand the lake it's referring to, the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's not a small lake. It's eight miles wide, the distance from here to Canterbury. It's eight miles wide, more than that, and it's nearly double that uh, in length from top to bottom. It's 13 miles from top to bottom, so it's not small. And we can tell by the geography of the stories, the context of this story, that he's talking about going diagonally across the big, wide top half. So this journey he's he's talking about is quite a few miles. It's not a short hop. And we know that as we carry on through the gospel accounts, we learn that following this stormy journey, when they get to the other side, we come across a deliverance of a demon-possessed man we're going to hear about next week. And then the following week, we're going to learn about healing of two people. And then Jesus just returns to his hometown. So Jesus' plan about where they're headed, it's more about a few individuals who will go on to impact their own communities, their own neighbourhoods, rather than this becoming a major leg of his current nationwide tour, effectively, that he's on. So, either way, Jesus still, though, he clearly had intent and direction. So, we're going this way, we're going to the other side of the lake, I've got three individuals I'd like to meet. Jesus is confident in the what next. He doesn't dither, but he just quietly takes the next step knowing that what the Father has prepared for him and that what he's partnering with through that close relationship will unfold and will fulfill. And so even in that simple statement, let's go to the other side of the lake. We find in Jesus this quiet confidence that helps us understand some of what then happens next. Because rightly so, he and his disciples therefore go, go sailing. And very quickly we get presented with Jesus' humanity as well as his divinity. Remember, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not 50-50. He's 100% God, never stopped being such, but he's also 100% human, and his fleshly body acts like ours. He falls asleep. He snuggles himself into the stern of the boat. It says Mark tells us he's in the stern on a cushion. He snuggles into the cushion, lets the fisherman do the, do the sailing and he falls asleep. And this was a deep sleep because as the storm ratchets up and up and up to the point where it's dangerous, he's still not woken up by the noise, by the rocking, by getting wet. It says the waves are coming in and these fishing boats, they're mostly open in the, in the main widest middle section, they're open and you've got some covering over the bow and the stern which Jesus has snuggled under. To, sit on this, to sleep on this cushion, but it's still open. Any water comes into the boat, it's going to reach him as well. He's going to get wet, but he's still asleep. <laughs> it's such a deep sleep he's in. So here straight away, we see a God who, in his humanity, he demonstrates two things. He's quietly confident and restful in where he's going, and he's so restful in his soul rest with the Father that he's able to fall asleep during a massive storm. So we learn two things straight away here before we move on. That physical rest is good. Physical rest is good. And secondly, that we can learn to do that in a a full way that finds our deeper rest in God. Let me me explain. Firstly, physical rest is good. Just straight away here, we can be encouraged that even God himself, when he's in the flesh, he needed to replenish. This tells us we're allowed to rest we're allowed to enjoy resting and we're allowed to not feel guilty about when we do it. Now, that's not an excuse to become lazy, obviously, but Jesus worked hard and he was exhausted at times. But this is to show us that we, we are made to embrace and to enjoy recharging and to not worry that we're not doing enough. We are not superhuman. God knows we're human. And yet sometimes we can fool ourselves to think otherwise. I must do more or we, we, we get concerned about what others expect of us and so on. Whereas Jesus here is like, I'm going to go to sleep. And he does. He, he, he's found a soul rest where he's quietly confident just to recharge when he needs it. But also therefore in that we find Jesus resting in this way that is just so confident that Father has everything under control. I don't know if Many of you here do struggle with sleep, sleep sometimes, sleeplessness is, can be a problem for you sometimes. Now, that can be for a number of reasons, a number of legitimate reasons. It can be because of physical health issues, with a chronic illness, chronic pain, whatever it might be. Um, mental health issues can keep us awake at night. Uh, you can have noisy neighbour issues. Noisy spouse issues. (laughs) Any snorers in the house? Uh, Young children waking you up and so on. There can be legitimate reasons why we struggle to sleep at at times. So please don't think I'm trying to peddle some silver bullet for when you can't sleep. That's not what I'm saying here. But sometimes our sleeplessness is because we are lacking in rest for our souls. When our spirits aren't functioning um, in a place of rest but instead where our spirits are in a place of unease and disquiet, then it's no wonder that we can't sleep or we can't sleep well. And where can we find this true rest for our souls? (laughs) Have a guess. It's God himself, Jesus himself. We can have what Jesus has found in the Father, we can find through him as well. In fact, Jesus explicitly says it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 29, he says, Come to me, All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's not saying, come to me, you won't have to work again. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a deep soul rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he spells it out even more explicitly. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Too often when we're heavy laden, when we're feeling squeezed, we, we can try to find soul rest in some bubblegum pro- programming on Netflix or in a glass of wine, and those things are okay. They can be all right. But quite often we can turn to that, first and foremost, before we turn to him, <laughs> can't we? And seriously, how long? I'm speaking to myself as much as to anyone. How long does it take us sometimes for that to click? <laughs> I am... Worn out, I'm burdened, these things are bothering me, I'm going to watch a stupid bubblegum program. I'm going to have a glass of wine, I'm going to have a beer. Rather than, Father, I need to chat. How often do we get that topsy-turvy? Yet what we see here is God the Son, physically and emotionally tired, resting so deeply under his Father's capable watch that he isn't even awakened by a ferocious storm. And here is just a place for us just to reflect for a moment upon these things, the things that keep us awake at night sometimes. And we can just ask, how much have I actually spoken to Father about this? And if I have, we can still, God help me, help me sleep, take these things away from me, will you stop this, will you stop that, will you make that person shut up, wherever it might be, we can ask those things, but we're still not actually allowing his Bible-trumpeted comfort and peace and fatherly care to actually seep deep into our very bones. That's where the key is. And therefore, when we're in that place, no matter what storm we find ourselves in, we can then know immediate peace and rest at the same time. How often have we let his comfort and peace that he promises that he's the God of all comfort? 2 Corinthians. How much have we let that get so deep that's our natural default rather than we go hunting for it and not really finding it? We've got to let it get into our bones, haven't we? Jesus has got that. We can see that there in his relationship with the Father. Have we ever truly experienced that or do we experience that often enough? And so, Jesus is asleep. And the disciples wake him up. Master, we are perishing. It's like Private Fraser. We're doomed. We're doomed. We're going to die. Now, you've got to remember these disciples who are manning this ship, they're they're professional fishermen. They've done this all their lives. They've learned it from their dads and their uncles and their granddads. And they know how to navigate choppy waters, they know what their boats can and can't handle. And, and they're used to big storms. They, they live and work on the Sea of Galilee, which is renowned for violent storms. Just because of its, its ecology, its, its geography, the Sea of Galilee it's 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by um, steep hills and cold air pours in off these hills into that ravine, collides with the warm air over the water And ask any weather expert, they'll tell you that is a recipe for very volatile weather conditions. The Sea of Galilee is known for these storms. It's renowned for it because of how it's shaped. And so these fishermen, they've worked all their lives in these Galilean conditions. They're used to storms. And yet this time, we're going to die. I've been out on this lake every day of my life, fishing. I've dealt with storms before, but this time I'm terrified. Master, we're perishing. This is not any old storm, this is a particularly crazy one even for Galilean standards and unfortunately some of our Bible translations don't help us, they just like, oh there was a storm it's Like, It's oh dear, a bit wet I mean in, in Matthew chapter 8 it uses the word storm the word underneath that is, is seismos it's a shaking tempest and even here in Luke chapter 8 it describes it, there was a, a windstorm came down, it sounds very nice doesn't it, there was a windstorm ok, a bit blowy Actually, the word in the original text there is referring to a whirlwind. <laughs> Puts it in a whole other perspective. This was a shaking tempest. This was a whirlwind. And these hardened, experienced fishermen, they know they're in danger. The waves are swamping the ship. And all along, Jesus is still asleep. And again, we just need to ask, whenever we face a storm, how do we respond? Now, obviously, I'm not talking about physical storms now, when we get a bit wet and a bit blown about. That's not what I'm talking about. The principle, is, principle goes far deeper into something more than just wind and rain. There are other kinds of storms that we face in life on a regular basis that still can shake us in their ferocity and can swamp us in, the, in our, our sense of direction or safety. And even right now, we can be feeling the push and pull of different winds and waves, can't we? Winds of opinion, winds of different arguments and opposing clamouring voices, waves of cultural and societal change. They come and go, don't they? And they can, they, can, they can buffer us about sometimes, can't they? And sometimes we can feel at the end of our human capacity and within what's brewing around us and what's threatening our fragile existence. That, that's a part of life. Increasingly, I've just got three different types of what these storms can be, uh, emotional, political, and spiritual, just for example. Emotional storms, even just post-lockdown. <laughs> While many of us have been eager, lockdown's, lockdown's finishing, I'm eager to get back out there, I wanna go out and see people, I wanna get my social life back, I wanna get out there. Many of us have been feeling that. Others, others of us have been finding it very scary to navigate the outside world again. Both understandably so. But then, on top of that, we've all had our uh, very different expectations of what the new normal would look like or should look like. What my home life should look like when everything eases again. What uh, What my social life should look like. What my marriage or my singlehood or my parenting should look like when everything finishes again. What church should look like we've all had different expectations of this and inevitably the reality is never actually going to match up to all of those at the same time, is it? And so because of that we can get disappointed whether it's at home or in church or or whatever and all for different reasons and through that there's a brewing storm that can swirl up in different ways at different times and it can cause upsets or arguments on the outside or hurt or frustration on the inside. It's real when we need to be aware of it. This is what we're all trying to navigate at the moment. And I mean, just in general, it's been a very heightened 18 months for us, has not it? Um, for, it's affected every single one of us, even if we don't think it has, it has. Because even those of us who are naturally quite gregarious and social and love being with people, we have, along with everyone else, had 18 months of stress-related hormones pumping around our brains and our bodies whether it's because we're anxious about what's happening on the outside or we're frustrated we can't go out there, these stress hormones get released and our bodies are not made to withstand them for such a long period of time, only for short bursts, but we've had 18 months of this. So now our brains and our bodies are struggling to cope with the aftermath of that and that affects our emotions and it affects our sleep patterns and so on and obviously therefore has big implications for our mental health. It's emotional storms we're dealing with at the moment, both conscious and unconscious. So, first of all, I mean, don't belittle yourself if you are aware that you feel that way. You're not alone. We mustn't assume it's forever either. Because here we discover there is one who shows us how to find a place of rest and security within that storm, but also one who can quell it. For example, Philippians 4, verse 5 onwards, says the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He does calm storms miraculously when we ask, but he can, we can find it true rest in the meantime that is beyond our understanding in him along the way as well he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus but that's that's emotional storms there's other kinds for example political storms (laughs) they're always brewing aren't they (laughs) COVID alone has been enough it's been more than enough to demonstrate the political upheaval that we can all experience in any given moment how governments did or didn't respond to the pandemic and how each nation has been radically different in their approaches and how each population's opinions and reactions have been different each time, for better or for worse. It's been very revealing, very surprising for the stuff that's closer to home. It's made for us very choppy waters, isn't it? It's not been an easy 18 months. But there's, there's also ongoing, even as you know, things are easing and things are changing, there's still other political storms always brewing. There's always the underlying tensions of race still going on. Unfortunately, that conversation is still having to be had. It's ridiculous. But it's the nature of humanity, isn't it? The awful treatment of various ethnic groups and so on. These political storms are coming up as people like, we, we need like, we need to give a voice to the voiceless. And then there's reaction, antagonistic reaction to that sometimes, isn't there? Women's safety, rightly so, has come under scrutiny again. We should be having that conversation. Women shouldn't be having to toe to men's, some men's toxicity. We have to, why should women have to put all the safeguards in place when why aren't we having these conversations with the men? Men stop it, <laughs> not women <laughs> work around it. We need to be having these conversations. But what that does is get very political and there's antagonistic reactions to it and so on. Or either the stirred backlash brews bigger or... That subject goes quiet and there's another political storm and another conversation to have and we're not talking about that anymore. And people, rightly so, get frustrated that it's just been buried further down in the smaller pages of the newspaper, for example. These storms are always brewing, for better or for worse. And then we've had recent troubles with the fuel shortages um, and now there's rumours of (laughs) other imminent shortages heard yesterday about aluminium so we might not get our fizzy drinks, I don't know but (laughs) really important stuff. But it brews political storms and people get very upset and then we get caught up in the conversations and there's another storm brewing, isn't there? The world is unavoidably political. Society requires government, so it's unavoidably political. We need leadership, don't we? But the world is also unavoidably broken in every arena, every office, and every chamber. So that means that on a regular basis, there's somewhere there's a storm's cooking. A storm cooking is a reality of life. We don't exist in a, in a vacuum, and political storms, whether they're directly local or whether they're further afield, they arise as a result. But there is one who can exemplify how to find a place of rest within a storm and one who can quell it. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says, He changes times and seasons, He removes kings and sets up kings. God has never lost his grip on the political arena. He's still the king of all kings. He still rules all things, and we can find our sole rest within that. Despite what's happening in government, in the papers, on the news, he's still in charge. We can find our rest in that. And in Psalm 12, it's a fascinating psalm. When you start to read it, you think it's all very doom and gloom. You think, oh, I'll skip to a happy one. Psalm 12 is well worth... Getting getting deep into because the writer says, he's looking around because everyone's just a nightmare and just making matters worse. And where is the goodness? He says, Everyone utters lies and with flattering lips and a double heart they speak and they say, Who's master over us? And the poor are plundered. It's like he's pulling his hair out. It's like, what next? But then he turns his eyes in the right direction, he says, You, O Lord, will keep them, you will guard us from this generation forever. You will guard us from this generation forever. God's covenant with his people and his incomparable heart for the oppressed, those remain undaunted and undefeated and remain undefeatable. His heart for the oppressed will never change and his covenant with his people will never change. And so there we find one in whom we can find rest amid the political storms and there's one who wields justice both now and in eternity. And then finally, spiritual storms as well. These can be outside, or these these can be inside, within us as well. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, that is not to say we should be looking for the devil under every rock. I'm always careful not to give him too much credit. <laughs> I'd rather veer the other way. But we need to be very aware of, of his schemes. I'll come on to that in a minute, another verse in a minute. But, I mean, Jesus, he faced physical torture. He faced human rejection. He faced judgment from his peers and from the powerful. There were flesh and blood political storms around him, and he faced emotional storms too when he wrestled with grief and loss and foreboding. But his sacrifice on the cross was to defeat the ultimate enemies of sin and death and the evil one. And so we too, without giving the devil more credit than he deserves, we need to be mindful that there are spiritual layers oftentimes to the storms that we face. Well, that's outside spiritual storms. What about inside ones when it comes to temptation, for example? Even when you belong to Christ... And knowing that you have been washed in his blood and made right before God, we can nevertheless be tempted to sin. It's alluring. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be tempted. (laughs) That's the nature of sin. And so sometimes our old selves can just rear up. You are a new creation, but your old self can still be. there's, There's like a ghost of it. It's like, go on, give in. Give in to anger. Give in to greed. Give in to lust, wherever it might be. And these moments of temptation, they come and they can come and go in waves. Some days or weeks are easier than others. Other times, we know we're in a storm of it, don't we? We can feel the attack. We know something's going on. But there is one who can show us how to find a place of rest within these spiritual battles. And there is one who can quell them too. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. He's saying, be aware Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He's saying, you're not alone. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. Amen. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. We we have a Father in heaven who through the storm and out to the other side will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish us. And even through that, he's a God who can empathize. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin, Hebrews 4. And our Father will never allow us to be tempted beyond our own abilities anyway, 1 Corinthians 10. So stepping through that and through those promises, we can stay firm in our faith, as Peter says, looking to him, and we can rest knowing that he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. He will. And that's where we can find true soul rest, whatever it is we're facing at whatever time. Soul rest is found in him. But then as I finish, there is a place of restoration as well, the Saviour's restoration. Because what does Jesus do about this particular storm? He stops this storm, I love it, he stops this storm in its tracks with a rebuke. He literally tells it off. He halts this terrifying and lethal whirlwind with nothing more than a bit of breath. See the contrast there? This great shaking tempest of a whirlwind and he tells it off and stops it with a breath. He rebukes it. You see, his power is not in incantation, saying the right words or ritual or shouting louder than the storm itself. His power lies in the authority that he has by nature as the creator of all things. And his authority also lies in that which his father in heaven has bestowed upon him as the heir of all things. We've been learning about that over recent weeks and months, haven't we? And every which way, whether it's up or down or all around, in heaven and on earth, throughout time, he is Lord. Full stop. And so here in rebuking the wind and the waves, he, he demonstrates him irrefutably that he is Lord over even powerful natural forces that themselves can destroy houses, can sink ships and can shake mountains. He's like, done. And it stops. Jesus does have authority over all things. He is Lord of the wind and the sea, he is King of all kings, and he is ruler of the spiritual realm. So whatever we face, may he be our first port of call for rest and for restoration. So this passage, it it finishes with two questions, which is good for us to ask of ourselves. Jesus asks one, and then the disciples ask another Firstly, Jesus just says to the disciples, after they've woken them up, we're perishing, we're dying. It's like, done, finished. And then he turns to them and says, Where, where is your faith? It's a simple question. And he's not questioning if they had enough faith, if they faced hard enough. He's just saying, which direction? Where, where is your faith? Where, where is your conviction? This is the underlying language. Where is your conviction? And so that's a question I need to ask myself oftentimes. Where. Where do I turn when the storms come? Do I try to manage on my own? Do I try to ignore it and hope it will go away? While the water's pouring in and my sails are threatening to rip, I'll stick my head in the sand, Maybe maybe it'll go away if I don't do anything. Or is my conviction such that I can't help turning to him immediately, knowing he won't ignore me, and knowing I can find my true rest no matter what I'm facing? Where is our... Conviction. Where is our faith? And then the second question is from the disciples, and they go, "Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him?" And the passage here that remains unanswered, it's left hanging, and therefore it leaves us with the need to decide for ourselves: Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Is he someone to ignore? It's like, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe. Are you going to continue to face these storms alone, under your own steam? Or maybe, yeah, he's someone to turn to, but only when you think you really need him. Well, I'd suggest, for starters, that's no way to treat the one who can, who even winds and water obey. (laughs) And you're not going to find soul rest by living like that. You're going to be all over the place. Or the other option is to say, he is Lord of all. He is my first port of call. And he is the one in whom I find true soul rest for the journey. And ultimate restoration when he deems it's the best thing for me. Shall we pray? Lord, we recognize that life is unavoidably stormy. But more importantly, first and foremost, utmost, we recognize that you are our rock in whom we find safety, security, shelter, strength, comfort, You're the one in whom no matter what we face, no matter how much all over the place life is, no matter matter how much threat or conflict or stress we're facing, you are where we can find our soul rest. And we thank you and we praise you and Lord do we need your help. not only do we need your help in in the storms, we need your help to even look in the right direction in the first place sometimes. We can be so distracted by our own anxieties, our own fears or our own solutions that we get lost along the way. May our compasses immediately be finding their true north. May that be you. And the first thing anything comes our way, may we be looking to you and go, I'm looking to you you're my comfort my, my true rest I love you and I need you so when these storms come we can be asleep on a cushion in the stern even if we're getting wet knowing we're safe in you Holy Spirit help these truths to seep deep into our bones so they just become our natural default reaction we need your help in this we're human we're fickle But we just ask, will these truths just seep deep? We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bob.